Julie, welcome to Saltier Politics. How are you doing? I'm good. I just got my first vaccine shot. So because I've had COVID, apparently um, it's supposed to hit you pretty badly if you've had it after the first shot. But so far, so good. It's been a few hours and I feel fine. I, I so, walked to mine with a sense of hope. Did you have that kind of same hope as you were walking towards your shot? No, because I had the antibodies. So okay. I being like, ah, I'll get it because if I go to Spain this summer, which I'm supposed to do, apparently you have to show proof of vaccination. So I'm doing it for that reason and the reason also because doctors obviously recommend you get it regardless. But um I, you know, I've been tracking my antibodies through Mount Sinai through the study for the last year. So I know that I still have them. What I was pleasantly surprised about is I got my vaccine literally in Times Square and with possibly the best view of Times Square I've ever seen in my life. It was on the second floor of this building, literally at 20 Times Square. So they make you wait about 15, 20 minutes or so after your shot just to make sure you don't have a reaction. So I'm sitting there with all of Times Square kind of stretched out before me and it was completely empty and so depressing and it looked like something out of an apocalyptic movie. It's very interesting to see how completely empty at 9 a.m. Times Square was and is on a weekday. You know, both you and I worked when we worked at Fox, worked right off of Times Square and sometimes it'd be impossible to walk through Times Square if you got off the subway there to walk to work. This was just kind of appalling in a very sad way, I thought. I hope this summer is different because a lot of my single friends are very excited for being vaccinated and the new pickup line will be, which vaccine did you get? <laughs> I got, well, you, what did you, you got J&J, you said, right? I got J&J, had a bad reaction, but I'm just happy to be vaccinated. I don't, you know, I don't care what I got. I was going to get the first one available. Yeah, it's funny. I was supposed to get the Moderna one in a couple of weeks. And then I was literally listening to the radio this morning and they said there's vaccines available. And I went on the website, which as of a week or two ago was almost impossible to find a vaccine. And there were no joke. I don't know how many open vaccination spots available. I went online at 8 a.m. I had an appointment by 9 a.m. in Times Square. Like I didn't have to travel to the Bronx or, or Queens or anywhere else where a lot of my friends had to go a few weeks ago. Um, it was super easy and, Amazing. um, I urge everybody to do it. Truth. All right. It's been a very busy couple of news weeks, but I wanted to bring something up cause you did a really interesting tweet about your experience. And I think you can bring a good perspective to the, this, but with all the Navalny news happening and him wanting to get better care because he's on a hunger strike, um, he's Putin's opposition, an opposition leader in Russia and if you could kind of explain that tweet that you said about your injury and about the healthcare in Russia, yeah. I thought that was yeah. really eye-opening. It's a little unfair of me to to compare because my injury happened in 1988. So were you even born in 1988? I don't think Na you were. 1990. Okay. So you were not yet born. But anyway, so this was a long time ago, but I was 15 and it was the first, it was still the Soviet Union and we went back to visit my grandparents, because I don't know if we ever talked about this, but when my family left in 1980, my grandparents were not allowed to leave by the Soviet authorities because my grandfather had worked on the first Sputnik literally in the 1950s. And under the pretext of him knowing military secrets, which is insane because this was obviously 30 years later and he didn't know anything, um, they would not let my grandparents leave, which was very awful, but very par for the course 
in the way that the Soviets would punish people who wanted to leave by separating families and, and ensuring that they'd never see each other again. We had left in 1980, then um, Gorbachev came into power and, and they had um, Glasnost. And anyway, the, the countries began to open up a little bit. And so we were allowed back, which was wonderful to visit, which was wonderful because I was very close to my grandparents when I was little. Um, they actually raised me until I left. We never thought we'd see them again, which was heartbreaking in ways that I really can't describe. Um, just awful. But anyway, so we took the opportunity, my mother and I did, to go back to Moscow for the first time in eight years. And at that point, I was an American citizen, which plays into this because my grandfather and I were went to go see a muse- to a museum, and we were at a subway station, a metro station in Moscow on our way to the museum. And, and the way metro stations in Moscow are built, they were built as bunkers. So they're very, very, very deep below ground. They were working on an escalator and an escalator rail. Either some a workman had let go of the escalator rail or something happened where the escalator rail jumped off the actual escalator um, and, and started kind of very quickly and it was a very long rail because as I said the escalators are very deep underground and started grooving towards me and I, I don't remember much because I passed out but um, it almost impaled me I was very lucky um, it went basically between my legs and, and chopped off a big chunk of my my um, right leg and I had uh, no idea about this this, this is absolutely terrifying about this? no yeah. Um, a little bit of my left leg, but a very big chunk of my right leg. So the leg that you have seen has had a lot of plastic surgery on it <laughs> um, to try to reconstruct it because it was basically hanging on by thread. I, I woke up. I mean, I passed out immediately, um, lost consciousness. And I woke up basically to find myself in the arms of <laughs> a Soviet policeman, which if you had left the country and were persona non grata in the Soviet Union is like your worst nightmare. <laughs> And he was carrying me and I was bleeding out. They took me to this little medic station they had in the subway station where this kind of old toothless woman who was the medic there tried to, she didn't really touch me. She kind of was looking at me, but um, they were going to let me bleed out. I mean, I was very close to dying from just loss of blood until um, I had the wherewithal to say I'm an American citizen. And as soon as I did, a bunch of plainclothes KGB guys showed up and it became, you know, a huge incident for them because obviously I wasn't just some girl that they could let go to die. <laughs> this was going to become an international incident, apparently. They really did not know what to do with me for a very long time. And eventually um, they called an ambulance and got me to a hospital. And from what I understood later, this hospital was the best hospital in Moscow that was kind of reserved for foreigners and, and maybe dignitaries and, and so on and so forth. This hospital was out of a third world nightmare. They literally took me to the basement of the hospital. There was water dripping from the ceiling. Um, there was a, a woman um, next to me who was kind of raving. They gave her a tetanus shot. Then they took the tetanus needle and, and put it in hot water and then gave me the same shot with the same needle. <clears throat> and don't forget, this is 1988, and I was 15. Guess who was completely paranoid about AIDS at the time, because that's all we were ever taught to be in the 80s. Yeah. So I'm thinking, oh, my God, if I don't die from <laughs> blood loss, I'm going to die from AIDS, which luckily did not happen. And so, and then they sewed me up, and they sewed me up without any painkillers and without any nothing. I mean, no, forget Novocaine. I mean, nothing in a very kind of medieval way, and it took hours for them to do it. Did you just constantly pass out? I cannot imagine the pain. I passed out after the first time, and so I wish I had because the pain was just so brutal. 
um, that let me tell you, 35 hours of childbirth uh, was a cakewalk after that experience. My God. But, uh, yeah, uh, it was. I, I can't believe we never talked about this. But anyway, it was it was brutal and it was awful. And what's interesting about it is they wanted me to come back to this clinic to be checked out a few days later, but I, I couldn't walk. Basically, I was like, I need crutches. And this nurse looks at me like I'm crazy. And she goes, crutches? We have a war with Afghanistan going on. Our crutches are all in Afghanistan. <laughs> in 1980, <laughs> there was not a pair of crutches in all of Moscow for them to give me. And I went ballistic. I went crazy. And um, at the age of 15, just cursing. And, and luckily, you know, my parents did a good job of, of, of maintaining my Russian. So I knew every um, curse word. <laughs> I could possibly come up with in Russian, but it's very funny because I, my 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 Russian slang stops, you know, in in the mid 70s, which is when my parents' Russian slang stopped. So I kind of sounded like Austin Powers, but nevertheless. Um, so it got to the point where they had to make me a pair of crutches because I was American, and these crutches, which I got two or three days later, were more painful to to have <laughs> than the leg itself. It was just awful. The whole experience is surreal, and. Um, just just brutal so i will say this was granted this was you know over 30 years ago they haven't changed their medical care and i, and I only raise this because i just had experience with this with the russian medical system every time some soviet dignitary or some now russian dignitary has medical problems they fly to germany or they fly to um finland which is really where they should have airbagged me out to if you know I had had the presence of mind to request it, but I obviously was 15 and I didn't. But they they air evacuate out to a Western country if you have you know if you need a bypass surgery or something. I mean if you're somebody of that ilk. And so what Navalny is dealing with in Russia, and and let me stress again, this was quote unquote the best hospital in Moscow where they couldn't provide a pair of crutches for me and they couldn't sew me up with any painkillers. This is not. I mean what Navalny is dealing with is a penal colony clinic. Um, he was perfectly healthy when he came out. I don't know if he was perfectly healthy. He'd been poisoned, but he was, I assume, somewhat healthy when he came home. He's a young man. He's younger than I am. He's in his 40s, um, early 40s, I think, or mid-40s. For him to have to um, deal with what he's dealing with in such a short period of time is they're literally murdering him slowly. I mean, they're just killing him being in some penal colony in some clinic in a penal colony where quote unquote doctors who are probably as medically inept as, you know, I was after ninth grade biology are working on him. Um, is just, it's, 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 they're killing him. And the question to me, somebody asked me this other day, did he come home to die a martyr. And I think, yes, I think the question is, you know, he could have stayed in Germany. He specifically came home to Russia because I think he made the calculus. Either he was going to start a revolution and overthrow Putin or he was going to die a martyr. And um, if you saw the protests happening in Moscow and St. Petersburg and Irkutsk, I mean, there are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Russians on the streets protesting what's happening to him, calling Putin a killer. Um, Putin, I think, is going to probably invade Ukraine to divert attention away from, from all of this um, and rally Russians around the flag and, and try the jingoist nonsense that, he, that he's tried many times um, to divert attention away. Um, the whole war with Chechnya 
was based on that kind of attitude. But um, but what's happening to Navalny and the medical care that he that he's not receiving is incredibly troubling. And you will not convince me that in the last 30 years or 35 years since I experienced what I experienced that the medical care in some penal colony in Russia has gotten any better than what I was treated to three decades ago in the best hospital in Moscow. Do you think if Navalny dies, though, the movement will peter out? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, I think Putin is hoping that it will. Look, I mean, what Putin has done is effectively learned his lessons from the collapse of the Soviet Union, which is when Gorbachev launched what was known as Glasnost, which was more freedom of speech, more whatever, it, it, it allowed people to really start discussing what was happening. And, and that led to discontent. It led to um, some of the Soviet republics, you know, the, the Baltics first, first seceding and then the rest of them. And I think what, what Putin understands is that he learned his lesson from that, is that you control the media, you put an entire you know, a gag order effectively on, on any dissent, you arrest people. I mean, they've arrested, I don't know how many protesters. And, and don't forget when they release those protesters, they will be out of a job. I mean, they, they will be pariahs. It's going to be very hard for them. I know this because I know what my family went through, you know, in, in the same kind of situation. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take for Putin to go. You're also talking about a country that has not ever had a system of Western democracy, really, except for a few years after the collapse of the Soviet Union. And, and that left a bad taste in people's mouths because you, you transitioned from a planned economy to a capitalist economy. And a lot of a very small number of people got very, very, very rich. Uh, and, and other people, most people, you know, lost everything financially and, and had to really fight, made it very difficult for them to make ends meet. So um, people don't have fond memories of that. It's Russia is a very complicated place. And for the United States and for any of us, and I've always said this, we have this expectation that we're going to go, that, that people want to emulate our Western values and our, and our democracy. And the reality is you have to have some sort of basis and culture for that to happen. And it has never happened in Russia, really. I mean, they went from the czars to communism to, to a few years of Yeltsin to now this, which is certainly not democracy. So I don't know what's going to happen. I legitimately can't predict. It's it's going to be interesting to see if Navalny dies, and I suspect Navalny, it's not going to end well for him. Um, and the reason it's not going to end well for him is who's going to stop Putin? So Navalny dies, and even more so, he invades Ukraine. What's the West going to do about it? And that's what Putin's counting on. You know, right. There is something to be done. We know where Putin's money is. We know where his allies' money is. We need to freeze it. They're in Western banks or in Western real estate. I mean, we know exactly where their money is parked. Um, we just have to be prepared to go after it. And and we have, I mean, putting sanctions on Russia is only going to hurt Russians. You've got to put sanctions on Putin himself. He's the wealthiest man in the world. I suspect we know where, her, where his assets are located. I, I guarantee the vast majority are not located in Russia. Go after it. And that's actually when you were talking about your story, what struck me too is you didn't really get any help until you said you were an American citizen, which also shows how much regard they hold their own citizens. None, because sure. like, right. So if, if, if the sanctions are 
tariffs hurt Russian, the people day to day, and their food is less, that's not going to impact Putin in the way if you just kind of strangle his pocketbook. No, what Putin's going to say is the reason you're all suffering is because of the West, and that he's going to whip up this kind of jingoistic hatred towards the West. I mean, don't forget, um, the feelings towards the West and Russia today are not great. Because he's effectively, I mean, imagine if Fox News were under Trump, the only media anybody had access to. That's effectively what you have under Putin, his version of Fox News. Um, That would be awful. Well, that's really the only thing people see. So that's, it's problematic. Now to another problematic subject. Uh, Well, something good happened. Chauvin, he was convicted or found guilty on all three counts. But the same night, Makia Bryant or same day, was shot by a police officer, a 16-year-old in Ohio. But I wanted to bring up one of my friends who is in the military. He texted me and said, in my opinion, crime will get worse. Cops will be afraid to do anything. You will see a lot more police die. What do you think about that? You know, that's always been the excuse for everything. And mm-hmm. reality is that cops are going to be afraid to do what? Put their foot on somebody for nine and a half minutes. Right. I mean, what, what I don't get about the whole situation. And I just had this discussion the other day with somebody. Okay. The guy was passing, you believe the guy was passing forged money, right? You arrest him. You throw him, you put handcuffs on him. You put him in the police car. He somehow wiggles out. Like he is, uncontrollable but now he's in handcuffs and there are several of you and there's one of him you tell me that you can't just you can't physically restrain this guy that's what i don't get what are you going to be cops are going to be afraid to do what to restrain somebody who's out of control who has handcuffs on him you restrain him you don't restrain him by putting your foot on him for nine and a half minutes, you restrain him. Right. It, That's and, the whole thing. And, yeah. You need to do this. He wasn't shooting at you. You weren't, this wasn't a, you know, either he dies or I die kind of situation where, you know, in the heat of the moment, maybe you thought your life was in danger. Your life's not in danger. You're just being an asshole. You just need to act better. You don't need to take out all of your whatever racial frustrations or whatever on the person that you've apprehended. It's not even a, I mean, let's even give everybody the benefit of the doubt and say this isn't racial, which of course we all know it is, but let's just, let's give Derek Chauvin every benefit of the doubt. George Floyd was acting poorly. He was out of control. They had a hard time restraining him. It had nothing to do with the fact that he was black. Like I'm going to give Derek Chauvin every benefit of the doubt. By the way, the benefit of the doubt that black kids, especially men never get, but Okay, let's give him every benefit of the doubt. Still, what exactly does your friend think cops are going to be afraid to do going forward? Put their foot on somebody for nine and a half minutes until they die? Like, what What exactly are we constraining the future Derek Chauvin's of the world from doing? I I completely agree. And, you know, I think, I think the same arguments are used with male bosses in the workplace. It's like, now we're being watched. How are we going to, how can we lead? Because we have to be so careful. You just have to change and not do the shitty stuff. If you're not if you're not going to harass somebody or treat somebody less than, 
and do and just do the job like and be a human you're going to be fine if if police follow the rule book and they don't go out of line and do like what Derek Chauvin did there shouldn't be an issue it's just it's not going to be the same you're not going to get away with as much you this situation is changing well and let me just go even a step further on this it's exactly this, you know, it's the Pence rule, right? Well, now that women are being like this and they're accusing men of sexual harassment, I guess that's going to lead to men not wanting to be in the room with women anymore. Why are you putting the onus on the victim here? Right. Why don't you try not acting like a jerk? Because I guarantee you that if I had a one-on-one -on -one with Mike Pence and he wasn't hitting on me or harassing me, I wouldn't accuse him of harassment, right? Like it, it's this nonsense of, well, this is going to lead to fewer women being hired or fewer minorities being hired because now everybody wants to like defend their rights. And, and basically white men are scared because they're, they're under attack all the time. No, they're not. No, they're not. I have worked with white men for the last 30 years. Literally. Everybody I've worked with for the most part has been a white man. And guess what I haven't done? Accused 99.99999% of them of bad behavior because there's no reason to. And sometimes even when there is reason to, I haven't. So to say that it's somehow the burden is on these poor men um, like Derek Chauvin <laughs> is, is absurd. How about you just don't kill somebody? For passing a counterfeit bill, how do you go from how do you go from passing a counterfeit bill to literally killing somebody? Exactly, exactly. And I also wanted to bring up. So I don't know if you saw the Tucker clip where he blamed the protests outside of the courthouse for persuading the jury to convict or to with the guilty verdicts. I just think that the Republicans are using the wrong arguments to to persuade people about the point. I think they could be using all the police shootings as way, hey, this is why we can't defund the police. This is this is why we need to put more funds into the police to help to help them protect us with training. But they're now just going about this in a completely racist and terrible way that isn't moving the conversation forward at, at all. It's just giving dog whistles. What's apparent to me, and I don't know if it's always been there and I was just naive to it or whether Donald Trump has kind of given people permission to be more vocal about it. I've been living in my little bubble in the Northeast for a very long time. And by the way, I will be the first to say places like Boston, where I went to college and graduate school, probably the most segregated, um, one of the most racist places on earth. So I'm not defending the Northeast as, as some paragon of, of you know, racial reconciliation. But what I find so fascinating is that people are saying the crazy part out loud. And maybe it's better that they're finally coming clean about it. Maybe it's better that people are actually saying what they're saying. But I mean, some of the stuff that I'm hearing, and, and I don't watch Fox much, but, but some of the stuff I heard Tucker say or Greg Gutfeld said about, you know, the Chauvin verdict, it's just, it's, it's bizarre to me that people my age think this, right? 
I mean, logically, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And I'll say this about Tucker, who I know, you know, used to spend a lot of time with Tucker Carlson. He's always just had his blind spot when it comes to race. I mean, this isn't an act for him. He really just, he just, and it's not just race, it's ethnicity, it's it's all of it. He just feels that way. Greg, I think, doesn't. I think Greg will say whatever it takes to, you know, stay in Suzanne Scott's good graces. But, um, but Tucker really does believe this stuff. It's just, it's, it's very weird. It, it makes me very happy that I am no longer in that environment. But, but, it, but it is fascinating. The one thing I'll say, you know, it is fascinating to be in that environment and to see it up close because it, it really is how half the country thinks. Yep. I think the logical Republicans, and there are so many of them, you just, they're not like that. And, but it, it, it kind of closes a lot of people's minds off and they're like, all Republicans are like this are like what Tucker said. And that's not true. And I think like also working on Fox, I've learned that too. And that you can have in what you did on Fox is have logical conversations with people and be like, Hey, here are the facts and, and, and kind of move, move the needle a little bit. But now it's just, it's either just polar opposite. You're either like way on the Tucker side or it, there's no really voice for those moderates. I feel. I don't know what you think about that. You know, I think everything's become a Twitter war. So everybody, there's no critical thinking mm-hmm. in some parts of the world anymore. And that's really frustrating to me because issues of race are complicated. And it's not, um, and, and they're they're historical in the sense that you really have to understand where they come from and and how they come from, I mean, you know, I've been a, a little bit paying attention to critical race theory, whatever the hell these people are talking about when it comes to New York City private schools um, that I understand that right wing media is just going ballistic over. And it's, it's fa- first of all, it's fascinating. None of the people at Fox who've been going crazy about what they say are happening in New York City private schools, I think, have kids in those schools. So they don't really know what's going on. They're just getting the top lines from the New York Post or wherever some, you know, disgruntled parent. I actually do have a kid in one of those private schools. And I do know a little bit about this. And uh, they're so off the mark that it's insane. Like, what they are putting out there as what's being taught versus what's actually being taught is insane. It's, it's, it's just completely disconnected from reality. And um, there are lots of issues to take up with private schools in terms of, you know, legacy admissions and, and, and admissions with respect to, you know, money. Uh, you know, there, there are plenty of things to be critical about in terms of equity with respect to private schools. But <laughs> somehow saying that New York City private schools have not historically benefited the wealthiest, whitest among us is crazy it's crazy and to 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 watch what's happening on in, in right-wing media especially when it comes to people who don't have never set foot in one of these schools don't have children in these schools don't really understand what's being taught in these schools to suddenly get on their high horse about critical race theory is amazing to me and I say this as the white mother of a white son in one of those schools. It's amazing to me. 
P.S. I'm not offended as the white mother of a white son in one of those schools. So it would be very nice if the Fox and Friends of the world weren't offended on my behalf because they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Yep. And I think it's the same thing like when they talk about a trans bathroom issue. I don't think they freaking met any trans people uh, to determine whether they're dangerous or not. They just don't know anything about it. So then they spout from a place of complete ignorance. Um, and I think that's what they're doing exactly right here. With yeah. Private by the way, issue. by the way, I have met trans people and they have, I, I, I do know one who's uh, used the same ladies room as I have. And guess what? Couldn't care less. Exactly. Couldn't care less. Right. It's like, <laughs> exactly. The people who do care too much are the ones who just know absolutely nothing about it because it's not anything that, to be an issue. It's a non-issue. You know what I always think about with respect to trans? Okay, so let's take it to this logical conclusion. You as a, I don't know, a woman don't feel comfortable if, if somebody who's trans is using a, um, if, if, if Caitlyn Jenner were using the ladies' room, right? Because Caitlyn Jenner in your mind was born a man. She was born Bruce Jenner. Um, so therefore, somehow Caitlyn Jenner is going to um, not be able to contain herself and is going to somehow sexually assault me, right? Okay. You believe that. Are you also saying that applies to lesbians as well? Because um, does that mean that if lesbians and, and, and um, straight women share a bathroom, that the lesbian is not going to be able to contain herself, is going to somehow sexually assault the straight woman in the bathroom because of her sexual urges towards that? Like, where is the craziness going to end? No, and right? you know what the thing is, too? It's like I remember coming out when I was younger, cause I did sports my whole life and like being in locker rooms, I was always just, it was part of the reason I stayed in the closet. Cause I was scared to death that like other females would think somehow I am like a predator, which is not at all. But I mean like, so now I, I think the trans person is the most afraid one about what everybody else is feeling when at the end of the day, you're just changing or you're just going to the bathroom. It's, it's, it's hey. terrible. What the hell are they talking about? And again, like, it, it's who's who's offended by this? People who don't know anything about this. <laughs> exactly. By the way, I guarantee you, you've used a public bathroom in New York City. You've been in the bathroom with a trans person. You just have. You may, you may not realize that the person is trans, but you have. Or a non-binary person. You 100%. have. 100%. And, and, and by the way, has anybody attacked you in that bathroom? Nope. No. <laughs> no. Everybody just wants to get in and out. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I guess what I do when I go to the bathroom. I do my business. I wash my hands. I get out of there. Right. No so dawdling. <laughs> Maybe put on some lipstick if I'm in the mood. That's about it. Exactly. Exactly. I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. It, it, it's the same stuff with this crazy critical race theory nonsense um, with these private schools in New York. Like, what do you, you don't even know what you're talking about. Exactly. Like, you has know, your son been impacted at all? You know how my son's been impacted? Yesterday, my son came home and he said, you know what? Instead of doing writing yesterday, we spent some time talking about um, George Floyd. Now he's in third grade. And I said, really, what did you guys talk about? And he told me facts about the George Floyd case that I wasn't aware of, actually. 
Um, just facts, not opinion, just facts. I was like, that's fascinating. You know what? You know more about this case than I do. And then we had a very long discussion as to what kind of sentence he thinks that Derek Chauvin should get versus what kind of sentence I think Derek Chauvin should get. And um, that was, the, you know what? If they want to take a, a couple of minutes that instead of focusing on, on writing that day, they're going to talk about George Floyd. I am more than okay with that. In fact, I should write a note to his teachers. I'm grateful they did that. You know why? That I'm that's I'm pretty, real world. I'm pretty positive he's going to still learn how to write today or tomorrow. Right. But <laughs> those are real world conversations that you're learning to have at such a young age, which is so important because I know in, in when I was that young, I wasn't having those conversations in my school. And I think those are the kind of tools that help you as you get older to be able to talk about difficult topics. Because if you've been doing it since you've been in third grade and younger, you can articulate a lot of challenging issues really well. But if you're just learning, which I think so much of the population is when you're in your thirties or forties, whatever, it's really freaking hard and difficult. So and, yeah, I think the education and, is better. Yeah. What I thought was fascinating is all these eight and nine year old kids had a discussion since Chauvin wasn't sentenced yesterday. Um, he's going to be sentenced in a couple of months. What they thought based on the facts that they discussed um, what they thought he should get as a sentence. And there were huge disparities, apparently, of opinion. So it wasn't that the teacher was indoctrinating them, saying, you know, throw the book at this guy or or he should walk or whatever. They're literally, they're like, okay, did he really mean to do that? Like, they had this discussion, the kids among themselves, do, do we think he really meant to kill him? Do we think he kind of killed him because he didn't care? Was it an accident? Like they all, that's what critical thinking is. I love it. I think it's amazing. Yeah. And having compassion for both sides too. Yeah. And it wasn't like, um, oh, you know what? Let's, uh, let's all sit here and lockstep and say George Floyd angel because George Floyd. And, and it's so fascinating because my son said, yeah, apparently the guy at the, convenience store or whatever store where George Floyd was passing the, the money who called the cops um, uh, said that this was the biggest regret of his life that he called the police on him, which led to um, George Floyd's death. And that was like a really big topic for these kids. They're like, that's a big regret. A small action that you take can lead to some really big consequences. In a, in a really real life way that I think they'd never thought about before. And I didn't think about that. I, these are all things that I just, you know, you kind of, at my age, you kind of think about it and then you move on. Like, this is like eye-opening for them. Wow. So this guy did something that he thought was right. He, he thought a crime was being committed. He called the police. And now his biggest regret in life is, is, is calling in a crime because it led to the death of this man who obviously he didn't want to see killed. And this was like a huge thing that they, that, that they among themselves, not even, you know, I think the start of the discussion in school, but then kind of, um, he talked to me about it and he does he's not the kind of kid as you know, um, that, that sits there and, you know, self-reflects on this kind of stuff much. No. So, um, you know, I think it's great. That's, that's the kind of critical race theory that they're teaching in these elite private schools in New York city, Fox and friends. 
Oh my God. That actually is such a relief. That's, that makes me, that makes me have faith in, in schooling in the youth today because I read on Buzzfeed about how people were ranking popularity now. And it was like in, in middle school, the popular girls are the ones with the biggest TikTok following. And I'm like, where, where is society going? Where? And then to hear this and what your son, the conversation that you two had, that is a, that is an intellectual conversation. And I can get behind that. And you've given me hope, Julie. <laughs> well, he's not in middle school yet, so let's not go crazy. Okay. He also he also did inform me that college is now optional because he could just be a big YouTube star instead, which, as you can imagine, my head began to explode. Oh. The words were out of his head. So oh, lest le- 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 we think everything is fantastic. <laughs> let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's, but... let's not get ahead of ourselves. But, um, but no, I mean, I, I, I only raise this stuff to say that it's, you know, it's my frustration generally about, um, and, and let me stress, I love my time at Fox in the sense that I love debating people. I love talking politics, but my, my big problem was always that there were times when I had to debate people who actually never worked in the business and didn't know what the hell they were talking about. And I who'd worked in the business for a really long time, um, I mean, they were entitled to their opinion, no problem. But, you know, it's like me debating a lawyer about the law because I watch a lot of Fox, uh, watch a lot of Law and Order. Like, I, I'm not a lawyer. I never tried. I never tried a case, but I watch a lot of Law and Order. So I, I think I can go and debate, you know. Right. Andy so Napolitano about the Constitution. Like, I can't. You know why? Because I've never studied the Constitution the way he has. Um, and. um and so that was kind of my frustration where you had all these, you know, people they sometimes put me up against. And I was like, but you don't know what you're talking about because you've actually never worked in this business. And this is exactly the same kind of frustration that I have um, when it comes to what they're talking about here. You actually don't know anything about what these schools are teaching. You just read a blog post by some disgruntled father whose daughter right. goes really and probably a father who hasn't had a full conversation because, again, like what you just said about your conversation with your son, is they were weighing about, you know, what kind of sentence should Chauvin get and what what was the intention behind it? Like, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. You're not just saying everything about the police is wrong. Let's defund them. It's not this narrative that is completely fake. They're weighing both sides. They're seeing humanity and empathy in both, which is what you want to teach kids to do. Yeah, and I have to say, the one thing I I have found um, with kids, and I can only speak about the kids that my son hangs out with. I, I don't know what goes on anywhere else. So I'm again, unlike other people, I'm not going to talk about what goes on in other schools. I just know about what's going on in mine, um, and not just his school, but his preschool. Basically, his whole situation. I think they're teaching kids about kindness in ways that we were never taught. Um, you, you have kids who are, are very sensitive to bullying and are sensitive to um, mistreatment and maltreatment in ways that, that certainly I never was when I was little. And I don't think most people I know were. And I think that's great. I think that's wonderful. And I hope it goes on. I hope it continues. Middle school is a tough, tough time in people's lives. It always is. 
Um, so, but I really hope that these kind of foundational years in lower school will, will teach them, elementary school will teach them to have that kind of compassion and that kind of critical thinking um, uh, when it comes to um, how they treat people down the road. I think it's really important and, and I'm glad they're teaching it. Agreed. Well, so, I learned something in this yeah. conversation as well. Okay. So Julie, what's making you salty this week or these past couple of weeks? What is making me salty the last couple of weeks? Um, what's making me salty is where people like Ted Cruz actually have this great phrase where he stood up at a press conference with Lindsey Graham, um, of all people, and Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee, and said the following. You don't see, you didn't see Republicans when we had control of the Senate try to rig the game. You didn't see us try to pack the court. Um... Um, they left Scalia's seat open for how long? Yeah. Um, Merrick Garland is attorney general, not a justice right now. So. Yeah. And then five seconds before the election, after Ruth Peter Ginsburg dies, they completely 180 flip and put a justice up. And by the way, let's say, oh, I don't know, Stephen Breyer retires today <laughs> i mean do we really believe that if the republicans were in charge they wouldn't hold that seat vacant for four years they absolutely would of course they would of course they would like I mean, do, it's do they think people are stupid and don't have a memory or what it, what is the rhetorical i guess use of this like the, it's it's the base it's the base Ugh. yeah it's just I, awful. I just can't imagine you like still like right now if you're on fox and then that soundbite has come off like how do you how do you even respond to that just imagine your face being like what um you know what's interesting i, I don't know how much airtime i'd be getting on fox if i were still there <laughs> i don't i don't really see um them giving a lot of airtime to people who don't tow the party line anymore, but maybe I'm wrong. That's true. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, what I'm salty about is um, I had to, on 420, I had to write about the 22 years since Columbine and also 11 years since the Deepwater Horizon um, mm -hmm. disaster. And in both things, these anniversary days, Reminded me that the U.S. really is not learning from its mistakes. Um, it both made me incredibly angry because then Columbine, not only am I watching the old footage, which is horrific, but then it's like in, in that time we've had a string of mass shootings and a string of mass school shootings, and now Columbine is like third on the list, and uh, Virginia Tech is number one with deaths, and then... Um, Parkland and then Newtown and it's horrific and then with the Deepwater Horizon disaster 11 people died but the environmental impacts are still felt today and it, it's just like I wish I wish America can do something to like to stem just the decay of both the environment and and of, with with guns it's it makes me very sad yeah I mean, the good news is it looks like the NRA is going bankrupt. Mm -hmm. The bad news is 
25, 30 years ago, pre-Columbine, were able to get the assault weapons ban passed. And that expired. And there's no gun safety legislation that can get support now. It's unbelievable. Right. right. Just amazing. So, so that's that's our show for today. <laughs> <laughs> On that happy note, I'm excited for the summer. It's not, it's not oh, my God. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> setting for the weather it's it's freezing in new york today um, it was awful today was awful it was 34 uh, and it was like 75 two days ago yeah but eventually the summer will be here spring will be here and i'm very excited for that just just to be able to get outside a little bit more okay all right that's our show all right Talk thanks julie all right bye